please turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew 25, Matthew chapter 25, and in a moment we're going to be reading near the end of Matthew chapter 25 from verses 31 down to verse 46 at the end of the chapter, the end of Matthew 25 from verse 31 to verse 46. And once you've found that, um, if you could put a ribbon in it, and perhaps as well, uh, we go to Second Peter, Second Peter. So Matthew twenty-five, and also Second Peter chapter three, because we're going to read from both of these sections in God's holy and infallible Word. Second Peter chapter three, right before the the epistle of First John, and these are two uh, sections of Scripture you could have. Uh, equally have picked other uh, sections of scripture to deal with our topic here this, this evening, which is Christ will return. Christ will return or Jesus is coming again. And uh, really dealing with uh, the question found, question 56 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, which looks at how Jesus is going to return as judge and uh, how he is exalted in that function. So in a moment we're going to read from that. Um, But I want us to think as well a little bit about what does it mean that Jesus is coming again? That Jesus is coming again. Our our late Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, she was thought of very fondly, wasn't she? Um, I grew up in Cork, so we, we didn't know much about the royal family. And it's really only since moving here to Northern Ireland that I really thought about it a lot more. But... One of the things I noticed when people talk about uh, our recent uh, our recent queen was this: there was a, a sense everybody had a story about her. Everybody uh, talked with her and came away with a sense of her warmth, uh, with a sense of her relatableness, but also came away with a sense of the fact that they were in the presence of a queen. Um, she was very uh, gracious with her time towards different people. Often these stories would be just casual chats that people would have. And sometimes they would be quite humorous at times. But not only did they have a sense of her warmth, they greatly appreciated the time that she would spend talking to almost anybody. Now what if someone told you that our new king, King Charles III, was going to visit you in your home? It would probably change how you were going to act, wouldn't it? You know, if somebody says, okay, we're not sure when he's coming, Uh, King Charles is going to visit you probably over the next month. Well, maybe you might start acting differently. Maybe your house will be a bit tidier over the next month. I'm not sure. But we probably would act differently in preparation for the royal visit of a king. And I think that's what we have to think about here this evening. Should we prepare for the future coming of our king? Should we not prepare for something that is going to be, that's going to affect not just our lives, but also our eternal destiny? If we knew the king was going to visit us in the near future, well... We prepare our homes. Well, our King is returning, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need to prepare our whole lives because this is eternity we are preparing for. So as we read through this section of God's holy word, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 onwards, let us think about this, how we ought to prepare our hearts and how monumental this return of Christ will be. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Let us hear God's holy word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you? Then he will answer and saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And we'll turn also now to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three. Uh, chapter three, we're just going to read three verses from Second Peter chapter three, just as verses ten down to verse thirteen. Verse ten to verse thirteen. Let us hear God's holy word. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. I think as believers in Jesus Christ would all agree that Jesus' first coming, his first royal visit, was special. The word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. The infinite God took on finite flesh, human flesh, and he came and he dwelt amongst us in our presence. Men were blessed to be around him and to hear from him. Even infants were blessed in his presence as well. But his first, his first coming was not what the Jews expected, was it? The Jews wanted something different. They, they wanted a king who was going to give them what they wanted, which was the Romans removed, and also have a different power rule over them. They wanted the days, the glory days to come back, the days of Solomon. This is what they had imagined in their minds. They couldn't wait for those days of Solomon to return. To be, uh, The first visit was glorious, of course, but not what they expected. The Old Testament scriptures spoke of the, the son of David coming, but he came to suffer. And the first visit, he came to suffer, and it seemed so strange for them. They really, really struggled with this idea that their king was going to come and die an excruciating death. On a Roman cross. But our sins needed to be paid for. However Jesus would come again. In the fullness of his glory. And we look forward to that day. They very much in that first coming. Look toward that glorious future. That still is future for us. That would exalt and glorify his name. That's still future, and we look forward to that, still to be prepared in our hearts. And as we look at this here this evening, may it motivate us to live for him. May it motivate us to point others to the returning king, for the king will return. The king will return, and while he, yes, he reigns today, he will reign openly before all, and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So the first point we're going to look at, we're going to look at three points um, of Jesus' return. The first one is to bring judgment. To bring judgment. The, the primary mission of his first coming was different to his return. His primary mission of his first coming was to seek and to save that which is lost He came not into the world to condemn the world. He really came, his first coming was really a rescue mission for all who will come and look to him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But with his return, he will bring judgment. And I think this is something that many struggle with looking to Jesus Yes, his first coming was not primarily about condemnation. However, if anyone didn't believe in him, they were condemned already. And his return will be as judge. As judge. For all that was done against Christ, for he will be exalted in this return. It says in verse 31 of Matthew, Matthew 25, verses 31, and 32, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. There's a difference here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, 
Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And then what it says here, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And then verse 41 and 42 and 43. Then he will say to those who are his left hand, depart from me, you cursed. So there's a judgment here being carried out into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's linked then to the the conduct of their lives. And we'll explain this a little bit later. But there is judgment. There is an administration of judgment being carried out. He returns as judge. Now as of the moment before Jesus returns. On that last day of time. There are opportunities to share the gospel. We haven't reached that time. And praise God we still have opportunities to share the gospel. Chances for those who hear the truth to repent and believe on Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is we haven't quite gotten there yet and a lot of people still have opportunities to come and trust the Son of Man. But when that time comes, spoken about here in this text, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, the door will be shut for all who wish, well, people will not wish to come. Justice will be given out. Now, this may bring horror into our minds. The the thoughts that there's no more opportunities for salvation. I want us to think about this for a second. Have you ever heard in the media, there's a horrendous case. Um, Over the last couple of years, there was a number of really horrible cases during lockdown. And cases where um, some neglect within families. And you've seen them sometimes, there's a few of them that were in the media. And they're, they're cases that would make your, your stomach churn and would bring a tear to your eye and make you very, very sad. Um, there was one, I think there was a particular boy who died under the care of his parents through neglect that took place. This is about two years ago, I think it was in somewhere in England. But when we hear these stories, We feel ill and we're angry. Why? Because we love children and we don't want what happened to them to happen to them. And you you want the person who's clearly responsible for the crime to face a punishment. Now imagine, now I'm not saying this has happened, but imagine just said the judge says, okay, I don't care what happened. I'm going to ignore justice. I'm just going to set it aside and the, the people responsible for this horrible crime that everybody's clearly angry about, well, we just set it aside. Everyone would be angry, wouldn't they? Everyone would say, this is not right, this is unjust. They would probably protest right to their MLA or their representative in government, and they'd be right to do that. But we see, don't we? When we see a crime as as heinous and severe as something like that, we think, no, no, there has to be a punishment. And what do we demand? Justice. We demand justice and judgment for what has happened. For a crime to go unpunished, it is wrong. Now, what about crimes against God? What about crimes against God? See, often we don't see 
how serious sin is. Because at the, at the very core of sin, it's rebellion against God. At the very core of sin, it's saying no to God. And challenging his supremacy over everything. What happens to those people who shake their fist at God? Now, what happens for us? Praise God, who we have trusted in Jesus Christ. From First uh, John chapter two, verse two, it says, "And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. He becomes our wrath-bearing sacrifice." In other words, Jesus took our punishment. Justice is not set aside. Justice has to be either satisfied in Christ or in us. There's no setting aside of the righteous punishment of God. We have a righteous judge who we are to bow before. If if you saw a human judge setting aside justice, you would say he's cruel and he's not fit to take the position. Our God is perfectly just. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if we're in Christ, not only is our position, is our relationship with God changed, but our behavior changes as well. And this is brought out in our text. It says, depart from me. This is from verse 41 onwards. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Verse 42, and he gives the reason. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. It's been linked. The way we live is linked to the condition of our soul. And how we treat fellow believers in Jesus Christ. There's a link between what we believe will impact on how we live. Not perfectly. We're not going to perfectly keep the law at any stage. Jesus Christ did that. However, it will change us. If if we love Christ, we'll love our brethren and have compassion for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. In verse 42, it says, For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. Verse 43, I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick. And in prison, and you did not visit me. And they're saying, when did this happen? Verse 45, then he will answer and say unto them, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So the least of our brothers in Christ is really how we're treating Christ. The least. The least. Uh, we can actually see this in the Bible when... Paul or Saul is traveling on the road to Damascus and he stopped. And what does Jesus say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Did he say my church? No. Why are you persecuting me? You see, Saul was really at war with Christ. Saul was persecuting the church, Christ's body. The same idea is going on here. And we have this picture in this text of the end of time. You're going to have a separation between sheep and goats. Now, 
in the ancient world, this was a very common illustration, and they understood what this meant. At the end of the day, um, this is how I've heard it explained, that they would take, um, the, the goats and the sheep were typically shepherded together. And at the end of the day, they would put one in one end and one on the other end, I think, because the goats typically got a bit aggressive towards the sheep. We also have the picture in scripture, the sheep typically follow the voice of the shepherd. The goats have a different picture, don't they? The goats bear sin. And goats typically are difficult. Goats typically rebel. It's kind of a a picture there that's given. Uh, The sheep are set on one side and the goats are set on the other. And how will you know one from the other? By their fruits. The shepherd will separate them at the end of time. And it may surprise us who is in which pen and who is in the other one. The goats continue to bear their sin. Even in the Old Testament you see the picture of the high priest placing his head upon, hand upon the head of the goats, the scapegoat, and carrying the sin out of the city. Goats have a hostile attitude towards Christ and his bride, very different to the sheep here. Everything Christ does will be perfect. We may struggle with some of these aspects. You know, Christ is coming back as a judge. He's going to condemn. He's going to cast people into the lake of fire. And he's going to be right and holy and just for doing that. But he's also going to do wonderful things. Well, they're all wonderful. The pouring out of justice is also wonderful. In verse 46, it says this, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So number one, to bring judgment. Number two now is to banish evil, to banish evil. There's going to be a transformed world. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is coming back, and there's going to be something uh, dramatic you could say and transformative that's going to happen to the heavens and the earth the impurities of the world and its sin will be removed if we turn to second peter chapter 3 second peter chapter 3 verse 10 speaking of the day of the lord but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. When Christ comes again, the first time he suffers for sin, which Adam brought in and his, and his seed. But we've also got to realize, as he comes in to really, you could say, remove evil, any possibility in this new heavens and new earth, there'll never be sin again. He removes the suffering, the source of suffering in this world. See, the source of suffering in this world is sin. It's sin. 
It says in Romans 8, 20 to 21, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected to hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the creation itself delivered from the bondage of corruption. There's a delivering taking place. And we see that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away. There's this very striking picture of what will happen. Massive transformation. Beforehand, we have to realize what's going to be removed. The curse is going to be removed. The curse that was brought in in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. It says this, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So there's toil, there's difficulty, there's thorns and thistles. There is a curse on the ground. Work was there before the fall, but now it becomes difficult and hard and and toilsome. So what do we understand then about this in the day of the Lord? The heavens will pass away with great noise. And the elements will melt With fervent heat. There's some type of transformation being pictured here, isn't there? And there's something new being brought in. In verse 13, it talks about, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. And we have two ways we could understand this new earth, don't we? Do we understand it as, well, that went badly. We're going to throw throw away the, the old world and we just start from scratch. Well, that's one way new can be understood. But there's another way new can be understood as well. Not like brand new, but renew. And that's probably a good way to understand it. Renew. Made like it was originally. Now, how did God make the world originally? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God said when he made everything and he finished, he said everything was very good. Very good. And he will return it to being very good. Without sin. Without suffering. Evil and sin are banished from the earth. And there's this. And if we're thinking about what is the fire and the melting away. Well almost think about. If you think about metal. You heat it. And maybe gold and. When they heat it and melt it down, they remove all the impurities, all the things that are not what you're seeking to get. And what's going to be left over is what is good, what is pure. How does that fill your heart? There's going to come a time when the world will be transformed. It's coming. And when that happens, there's going to be no more sin and there's going to be righteousness dwelling from every blade of grass to every blade of grass. 
from every particle of dust everywhere across the earth, there will not be a lick of sin anywhere. Do we have the excitement that we say, I cannot wait for that time to come. I cannot wait to be rid of these temptations that I face on a daily basis. The sin that remains in my heart, I still struggle with this draw towards various things. You long to be away from the presence of sin. And indeed the presence of suffering, but mostly from the presence of sin that entices you and still, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're still tempted. But are you excited to be away from it? And if you're excited to be away from it, that is a good sign that you are truly a Christian. But what if the idea of there's a world to come and there's going to be no sin there, does that sound boring? And I fear that there's many young people and probably much older people, the idea that there's no sin in the world to come doesn't sound very exciting to them. The idols that they serve in this world, they can't bring with them. The money in your account, you can't bring it with you. Your houses, your homes, even your job. All these things, you can't bring it with you. There's nothing wrong with these things in their proper way. You should work hard. You should provide for your family. You should you know, support in different ways. But you don't live for these things. You live for God. You live for his righteousness. This is a place, the new heavens and the new earth, where righteousness dwells. And to the believer, that sounds like the most wonderful place on earth. Please take me there right now, immediately. You cannot wait to be there. But for the lost soul, the absence of sin just sounds horrible. You see, everyone wants to go to heaven. It's just not the version of the Bible. Everybody wants to go to their own version of heaven. Even the most wicked people on earth want to go to a version of heaven they've they've concocted in in their minds. And usually if you ask people what do they think of heaven, it's usually their favorite things to do. It's their hobbies. It's, it's usually filled with their own sins. But heaven is not all the things you put in there. Heaven is not heaven because your presence is going to be there one day. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And he is wonderful. And to be in his presence is the most wonderful thing that anybody can ever experience. Evil is banished, removed, it is not tolerated. Christ is exalted and he is worshipped. That is something that ought to shape how we live. Verse 11, Peter writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Verse 11 in our, in our text in Second Peter. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. You say, well, all these things are going to be gone one day. What manner of persons ought you to be? In holy conduct and godliness. See what he's asking. Well, you see all the things around you, all the physical things that will one day return to dust. How should you live today? Knowing what really matters. Knowing what will continue. The kingdom of God will continue. God will endure. His his mercy will endure. 
but not often the things that we live for commonly, they will not. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved beyond fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. A transformation, a glorious transformation. We live in a day where things that are tremendous blessings, such as the Sabbath. People don't keep the Sabbath anymore. And it's incredibly sad. But in, in, the, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be an eternal Sabbath. If we struggle with keeping the Sabbath day, we may struggle with heaven itself. The Sabbath is to be something that nourishes our souls, feeds us, blesses us. What do we live for? I say all this, dear friends, so that when you breathe your last, Christ may say of you, Matthew 25, verse 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful, You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The final thing we're going to look at here this evening is Jesus is coming and we've looked at he's coming to bring judgment. He's coming to banish evil. And number three, he's coming to bring glory. Christ brings glory where his name is exalted. But there's a greater glory ahead. we struggle, I struggle, anybody struggles to put it into words, how amazing will be the eye hath not seen or the ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a greater glory ahead. And with that greater glory, we live for that greater glory. We don't live for the crumbs of this world that's so temporary and short-lived. He will be exalted in these things. If we return to Matthew, 20, Matthew 25, verse 31, where the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on, on the throne of his glory. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. He's already reigning today. Jesus is reigning today. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We know this from the end of Matthew 28. But his glory will be seen far more openly than it is today. Question 56 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this. How is Christ to be exalted in his coming again to judge the world? Christ is to be exalted in his coming again to judge the world? Who? was unjustly judged and condemned by wicked men, shall come again at the last day in great power and in the full manifestation of his own glory. The full manifestation of his own glory. Now when he came the first time, he was born under the law. He came in the form of a servant. Jesus is always as glorious as he ever will be. But what varies, what changes, is how he reveals and shows that glory before others. But he came in the form of a servant. He came to suffer and die. 
Why does he come again? To set things right. What came in in Adam will be set right in the return of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And this will all happen when time is over. Even time itself will end. And Jesus will be openly and triumphantly For his own glory's sake. Seen to be by all. Who he is. This is made very clear in Acts 1. And the angel said. And while they were looking steadfastly towards heaven. They went up. Behold two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said. Men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus. Who was taken up from you. Into heaven will so come in like manner. In like manner, as you saw him go up into heaven. What does that mean? His return will not be secret. When he returns, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It will not be some, and it will be openly that all will glorify him. In Revelation Uh, Chapter 22, the first few verses of Revelation uh, chapter 22. And it speaks of the Lord's return and of his glory. Verse 1 of Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And verse 3 it says this. And there shall be no more curse. No more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Verse 5. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And you say, well, how does that matter? There will be no sun there. The Lord will bring light. The Lord will bring radiance. The Lord will bring glory. The future is bright. The future is radiant. The future is amazing because Jesus will shine forth. When we were looking at the recent coronation of Charles III, you know, when people see the crown and the scepter, there's a certain shine and sheen from it, isn't it? And these are symbols of how important the office is of king or queen as it was beforehand. Our God shows us his glory in little snippets in this world. But it will be in its fullness in the world to come. Greater than symbols will be seen in the world to come. There will be an open manifestation of his glory. Earthly kings just have physical crowns. That's, that's the extent of their glory. Christ's glory is himself. Who he is. And that is something to look forward to. Because again, like you would prepare, if you knew the king was coming to visit, 
and you knew it was, you didn't know what day it was, you'd probably keep your house swept and clean because you never knew when he was going to visit. Because we don't know when he's going to visit. We don't know when he's coming. But you prepare your house. You prepare your home. You prepare your heart. For you don't know when the Lord will return. And also, dear friends, you don't know when you're going to stand before God. None of us do. Whether we're young, whether we're older, none of us know the day or the hour. So we've always got to have a heart that is prepared and ready to say, look, if I put my head on my pillow tonight and it is my last night on this earth, even if I die tonight, I will wake up in heaven. And that's a wonderful thing. And maybe some of us will see the Lord returning while we're still on this earth, but we will all see it. And we, friends, we have so much to look forward to. You, you, you could spend hours on this topic, you really could. Spend time thinking about Christ coming back. He's glorious and he's worthy of our heart being prepared for his return. Amen.